0: Welcome to The Sober Podcast, brought to you by The Sober Network. We're revolutionizing the treatment industry by creating its own token economy and much more. Get ready to hear fresh ideas in an industry that has relied on dated interventions for decades. We're helping a new generation of substance users who are digital natives, and our technology expertise is resulting in impactful social change. We understand how to get things done. We walk the walk. Our multiple award-winning platforms have proven that technology, coupled with incentivized human accountability, produces measurable, positive outcomes. Let's get started.
1: Well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Sober Podcast, brought to you by Sober Network, soon to be the Soberverse. And um, this is your host, Howie Marlin. Hi there. I'm here with Jesse Harless today. Um, joining us from a uh, beautiful downtown New Hampshire, up in snow country. Uh, he's got a master's in clinical mental health counseling, right? Um, and in 2017, you started Entrepreneurs in Recovery. And then in 2021, you released your book, If Not You, Then Who? So let's start by welcome you to the show. Hello, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Howie, thanks. Great to be here. It's an honor and uh, looking forward to our conversation.
1: Well, uh, um, me too, and first I'm gonna start with, i have a bone to pick with you. You stole my sentence. My sentence of, if not you, then who? (laughs) Which is what I basically talk to with each client as I go through my process and we talk about change, who's going to do this? You. You know, you've got to do it. Who else, if not you? Who? Anyway, I thought that's. I'm sure you know that's part of the the therapeutic background and the inquiry, the path of inquiry, which became the title of your book. So, um, really, thank you very much for taking the time tonight. Um, Tell me, what do you do, and how do you help others?
2: Well, today. It's, it's a little different than in the past, but how I help others is some of it is through private coaching, very, very few, but it's mainly through facilitation and training. So I, I help people to train in the art of facilitation and that's pretty. It's being pretty vague, but I teach people how to facilitate online and in person because it's one thing to be able to work one-on-one with the person. It's another thing to be able to work in front of a group of 12, 20 or 1,200 people. And so that's, that's what I teach people to do. I train them to become facilitators, professional facilitators, so that they can you know, work in the mental health space, they can work in the addiction recovery space and really thrive using a lot of different me- mechanics and, and technologies I've learned over the last few years myself.
1: When you say facilitators, give our listeners an idea of who you're talking about.
2: Yeah. So facilitator is a really general term. It really means like anytime you get in front of a group, you're either going to be the, you know, the sage on the stage. You're going to take this whole spotlight and, you know, take over. It's all about you, or you're going to become the guide on the side and you're going to allow the actual participants to seek the answers within and from each other. So you're really crowdsourcing the wisdom that's already in the room instead of bringing it all from your expertise and so that's really what I train people to do is how to do that.
1: Um, crowdsourcing wisdom. That's, that's quite a phrase. Uh, it's very catchy. I appreciate that very much. Um, so what got you into the industry? How'd you end up here?
2: Well, that's a, that's a long question, but I'll say the the easy, the short answer is, <laughs> is essentially, um, well, I left my job in 2017. I had a career at Verizon. It was my recovery job. You know, I got into recovery at 22. was facing serious consequences at 22 for my actions, but I was at Verizon and I stayed there for 14 years and left in 2017 um, for many reasons. Um, one is what was happening here with the fentanyl crisis and many friends overdosing and dying. And just uh, it changed the, the climate of New Hampshire. So I just saw this opportunity to like, bring in my expertise as well as learning from entrepreneurs, teaching people how to thrive, if not you, then who, right? So I, I took a training, though. As soon as I left my job, I took a training that teaches in the art of facilitation, and that's really putting it mildly. It's called exchange, and it's called the exchange approach. And it's a synthesis of many different teachers and many different um, mentors and leaders as, as far as like uh, David Cooper Ryder and um, Meg Wheatley and, um, and many others uh, Dr. Jackie Stavros and many of these legends in the appreciative inquiry world and different types of worlds that teach and um, facilitation so I got to learn from uh, a gentleman named John Bergoff in his in his company exchange and that's really where it started so it started in 2017. I, I became certified and I went to 13 other trainings and uh, in person. And so really took it serious and brought it to sober living homes, sober living residences, brought it to mental health centers, brought it to drug courts, drug treatment um, centers, accountability courts, all these different types of um, places where I had a heart to serve and a heart to bring this information. And eventually I did it so much that I learned that I could train it myself. And so um, I'm still very close with exchange, but I also do my own trainings through company called eye care, which is international center for addiction recovery education. They've been around for 26 years in, our, in our Orlando, Florida. So, so now I've collaborated with them to, to do some certified facilitated addiction awareness training. And I teach the facilitation side of things.
1: That's uh, that's pretty incredible. And, um, how old were you when you got sober? Uh, 22. Wow. Um, and how has life changed for you? We can only imagine based on what you've just said, it's taken you to another universe. But can you give me an idea of the transition?
2: Yeah. I mean, really at 22, like I was you know, alluding to it, there was a lot of um, legal consequences for my addiction to opioids, for my addiction to many things, but we'll just say opioids to keep it simple. And I got arrested. It was very serious. And uh, the town that I had my uh, court appearance happened to be in Concord, New Hampshire. Hence why I still live here now, 16 years later, because this is where I found my great recovery community. I was forced to go. I didn't have an option. <laughs> it was a pre-trial uh, probation. So I had to go to you know recovery meetings and uh, ended up just getting plugged in and got really active. And I was really scared to lose my freedom. So I did everything I was told to do. Um, then I didn't go to jail and that was a miracle. And when that happened, I realized, you know, it was obviously I had, it was obviously I had a second chance, but more than that, it was just, it was just go time. And I really like, just really worked hard, um, and, um, on my recovery. And I, and, and so I did some, I did some things non-traditionally and that's why eventually 16 years later, it took me to write a book about it. But I, I definitely took an approach that wasn't, I would say, the typical approach to recovery. And, um, I think it could be very useful to others. Um, we all have different paths that we follow and, um, yeah, I just learned a few things early on, like getting a mentor, not just a sponsor, getting mentors, um, you know, having, um, journaling and, um, you know, if you can, uh, to see a therapist and, and all these different things that I was learning early on that really helped me to like thrive, to be honest. And then and that, Continued on, so my life, yeah, it's changed quite a bit since then.
1: That's that's really. I'm going to tell you, you you will hear in just about every encounter from me that miracles happen every day. I speak with parents who are frustrated and scared. I talk to people who are, think they're past the end of their rope, and I explain to them how if you are determined and you want to make it happen. The odds of that working out get better and better every day you're sober. So you start, you draw a line in the sand. And it sounds to me you're a living miracle. You actually, you said by some grace, you didn't go to jail. You finished probation. You fulfilled your obligations to the court. And it started your life. What aspect of that was so motivating? There's something, you said go time. It became go time. And that got me. What was that about? Can you tell me the before and after of it?
2: Well, I was facing seven years in prison minimum. So I think that really got me motivated. That's a motivator, baby. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was basically like, you know, it, it was time to wake up. And and realize like, and I had a lot of healing to do. Oh, I wasn't even touching the surface of the healing, but I just knew that f- I needed to find like a way to to find purpose. And this is why, even early on with people in really early recovery, I talk about purpose because purpose purpose doesn't have to be some existent, existential thing. Pur- purpose can be as simple as, you know, uh, my purpose is to focus on my recovery. That can be your purpose. My, my purpose is to focus on being an incredible father and a loving husband. Um, you know, different, different ways to just simplify purpose, but it can drive you. And so early on, I had a purpose. And that purpose was to, you know, really to obviously to, to put my recovery first. So I would say that was my first purpose was the focus on my recovery. And then I would say my next purpose was to, you know, just really excel at whatever I was gonna do. So like, I just, I really took my job serious and I really worked as hard as I could and came up with my own strategies for success. And so, and then I started to listen to books, audio books, and I started to read books and I started to gain mentors. And I started to realize that these are the things that I was missing out on before 22. (laughs) And these are the things, these are some key things that really helped me. Um, So that, so go time just means like I was, I was launched into this world of like, okay, I'm not going to prison. I have a lot of obstacles to face going forward, but I'm going to face all of them. I'm going to be resilient.
1: That's truly, uh, uh, the takeaway from this is that there's times where we find inspiration. And brother, it sounds to me like you found it but it didn't just take you out of the world that you were in. It brought you into this, you know, very, if you are very accomplished. These are not efforts that are done uh, as a side gig the or without significant and sincere intent. You had to put your nose to the grindstone to, um, to do, you know, your, 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 now I'm blocking that you've done so many things um, for you to get involved in helping organizations learn how to motivate others to change. I think that's what I'm hearing from what you're telling me. You're guiding organizations uh, that deal with mental health and substance engagement with facilitating. and. There's so many forms of that. Can you spend a couple of minutes to share what that entails?
2: Yeah. So today is very different to what I was doing four years ago, but I can tell you about what I'm doing today. Um, It's specifically there's um, so one of the collaborations is with uh, eye care, as I mentioned earlier, and they have um, a program called certified facilitator and addiction awareness, which is to go to companies and bring awareness of addiction And recovery and substance abuse disorder to companies, but do it in a way that is during like a lunch. So maybe like an hour or an hour and a half, or even less. And so that there's a there's, there's an actual professional certification that is happening for companies. So many of the people interested are individuals who are in the space already. They're already, you know, M-Ladax or they're, um, or maybe they just have a heart for serving and they, they really want to serve in the addiction recovery space. So they come from all different walks. What I do is I specifically train in how do you actually, when you're with, because a lot of it is virtual. So if you got them virtually, how are you going to actually get their energy going and for them to actually listen to what you're actually saying. Because I can tell you, if you come in with a PowerPoint slide and data dump on them, you lost them right away. You, you're you, and in fact, you've actually made it worse. You've actually made their experience of addiction, re- addiction, recovery, substance abuse is sort of worse. So I think it's really, we have to be really delicate with this subject. And there's a lot of addiction within companies. 70% of people who are addicted are employed full-time and part-time. So it's pretty huge. So there's a huge opportunity. I worked at Verizon for 14, 15 years. There was many people who I talked to who were suicidal. They had addiction. They had mental health issues. And they were some of my coworkers. So so, so, so really what I do, Howie, is with, with this group of individuals, is I, is I train them in the art. The, the, I know it's very vague, but the art of facilitation. So I'm teaching them choreographies. What do you do when you first come into the group? What do you do halfway through? What do you do at the end? So I'm showing them how to actually facilitate in front of a group of people so that the whole time we're not just talking at them. We're also engaging and crowdsourcing their individual strengths and wisdom and letting them get to know each other to build community within that company that maybe they weren't doing before.
1: I get it. And what's really interesting is you talk about about, in facilitating and pulling in the individual's and having them get skin in the game, having them express themselves, having them be part of the system. It's inspirational. It's motivating. And when you're motivated, you become engaged and you retain. So it's quite to the opposite of the popcorn slide. And I, I look forward to, to, to learning a, a great deal more. Um, I appreciate that. Um, what we're going to do now, we're going to step out for a minute. I have a little bit of a spot to read and we'll be right back.
0: The Sober Podcast is now part of the Soberverse. It's another innovative solution developed by the Sober Network. The Sober Podcast is giving voice to recovery. Find info on this and all the other parts of the Soberverse at Soberverse.com, SoberNetwork.com, Sober.com, SoberSystems.com, SoberPodcast.com, SoberCoin.io, and RecoveryCoaches.com. So we are back
1: with our guest, Jesse Harless. And uh, thank you for your patience as I went through that. Now, you're an author. Tell me about your book. If not you, then who? Um, what kind of content will we find in it?
2: So what you're going to find first is my story. So the first four chapters is literally my story, Spe- specifically the first three chapters. Because I feel like if, if I was going to write a book, and I had read many, many books, uh, even books in the addiction recovery space. And I really wanted to write a book that not only told my story right up front, but it had a solution of what to do next. So it wasn't just this tale, like a memoir. It actually was a memoir that turned into what is a solution I can, I can work on daily. So the book starts with my entire story. And then from there, it goes into this recovery toolkit And this recovery toolkit is something that I've learned. I've I've celebrated 16 years of recovery in December 18th. So uh, you learn a lot, you know, you learn a lot, you lose a lot, you learn a lot. And so I, I learned quite a bit from many different aspects. And a lot of it, I learned in entrepreneurship when I became an entrepreneur and I started hiring coaches and different things. And I learned a lot of different things. And so I realized that I wanted to create a toolkit and it's a 30 action toolkit. So It's not a couple actions, there's a lot, but there's a a breakdown of what the toolkit is, and the toolkit's actually called FEARS, FEARS Recovery Toolkit, because I love the word fear, I love the word fears. So I wanted to create a toolkit that was an acronym using FEARS, which is Focus, Elevate, Appreciate, Resilience, Self-Care. And so those break down to focus on your recovery, elevate your recovery, appreciate your recovery, resilience in recovery, and self-care and recovery. So each of those chapters, that's five chapters, all break down different action steps that you take, starting with what I find the most important one, which is focusing on your recovery. That's the very first action step, all the way to the last one, which is build your self-care routine. It doesn't mean it comes last. It just happens to be that way in the book. So that's really essentially what the book is. And then chapter 10, the final chapter, is really my call for collaboration globally globally to really come together, to stop messing around and bringing in all the strengths and all the money and all the entrepreneurs and all the government money and all of it and start to really get serious about solutions and crowdsourcing solutions globally to start attacking the actual, and maybe not attacking is not, right, not the right word, but really healing, bringing harmony in this space. Um, and so that's really, chapter 10 is almost like my rant of like, here's what I see and here's what i see can happen and this is based off many conversations with people like you many many people and so that's pretty much the book yeah
1: that, that's it's it's wonderful it, it's uh, it sounds like it's very well thought out and there is a piece of this that you shared with me and i look forward to reading the book the need for when you say crowdsourcing we need to get all the boots on the street we need for numbers. We can't do it ourselves. You know, we can get on a soapbox, get on a corner, preach to 20 people, 80 people. It's not gonna go too far. So I really enjoy the idea of you saying, getting, building inspiration and sharing your story and sharing how it is that you hooked onto a real ski lift. I mean, it got you up to where you could fly and look at you now, this is amazing. It's really amazing. So I, I truly appreciate that. Well, but what well, what inspired what inspired you to write a book? That's a big deal. And most druggies I know, they can't keep two and two together very long.
2: Well, I mean, this is actually my second book. So my first book was was a book I wrote in 2017 that was really it was really a request from people I knew, is why I wrote the book. It was I was into cold water therapy or cold showers specifically. So so the power of cold water and and the call the power of cold water to heal anxiety. So not just the cold water for boosting metabolism or like these loose studies about weight, you know, fat loss. I was really doing it for the anxiety that it was relieving and overcoming. Other addictions that you develop in recovery. So once you get into recovery, you're not done with addiction by any means. You pick up new addictions. So one of my new addictions was caffeine, and I was able to quit caffeine using cold showers. So um, I wrote a book in 2017 based off people asking me to write a book, and you know I had all the doubts and fears, like I'm not an author, I can't write a book, and and then I did it. I did it all on my own, and I wrote a book called "Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers." So real specific. And it's a very short book, and I also have an audiobook that I read. It's an hour and six minutes long, very short audiobook. But this book, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have listened to the book, and I know, you know, thousands have read the book. And I and I would say that this is just an inspirational tale of like kind of a snippet of my story, and then talking about how cold showers really help to. Boost, uh, boost resilience and confidence, and most importantly, helped me overcome um, my anxiety and, and the things that I was facing. And it didn't relieve all the anxiety, but what it did is it, it gave me this, such a boost in my mood that it helped me to just use the energy that I had to really overcome the anxiety. So that book is really short. So that book inspired me to say, wow, you know, maybe I can write. Maybe I can just get better if I keep writing. And the book that I wrote that's If Not You, Then Who?, You know, Harness Your Strengths to Shift from Addiction to Abundance. This is my book that has been in me since the beginning. This is, I think we, I believe we all have a book in us. And this is the book that I was just scared to write. And then when COVID hit, I I took that entire 10 months of COVID to write, um, you know, in 2020. And I wrote that whole book. And so, um, and it launched in February 21st, uh, February of uh, 2021. And so, yeah this this what inspired me is 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 everybody inspired me all the people that i've met all the people that i had lost all the people in my family i had lost to addiction so what inspired me was to write a book where if you read the book and you applied the principles and the action steps your life will change and i love books like that that's what inspired me to write this book is i read other books where i was not the same person by the last page of the book i literally was There were so many little things that I applied that changed my paradigm. And I wanted this book to not necessarily change your paradigm, which it will. If you're someone from the outside looking into addiction recovery, this will. But if you're in addiction recovery, I think what it's going to do is it's just going to inspire you to just realize like, wow, there are so many things I could be doing. Hence why I started Entrepreneurs in Recovery. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's...
1: Well, so it's, it's, it's amazing. You actually brought up something which I don't do anymore, but I had learned well back in college the benefits of taking a cold shower. This came out of camping. And the people I was camping with, we were jumping in the, screen, in the stream in Colorado. And it's cold. It's ice cold. But we found ourselves starting the day with so much more power and it was really striking. Now, I'm going to confess, I'm in my 60s now, and I lost touch with that. But you've inspired me to look into it again. I have to tell you, I'm truly grateful that you were on the show tonight. If if for that alone, let that be the, the crack in the door opening to more of what you've experienced. You've really touched on some really fascinating things, which, you know, I'm to be quite honest with you, pretty psyched about. So, you know, let's. I look forward to, to learning more and seeing how things turned out. Um, here's one for you: um, In today's world, dealing with the pandemic and so many scary things, um, have you been able to create such a positive impact? Where did this energy come from? <sighs>
2: Well, the fire's been in me a long time to really start to talk about what I what I've seen, what I've witnessed with with the stigma, with the solutions with the collaboration Me time when you know, I had an inspiring conversation with a gentleman who, who passed away recently from Brain. Um, from brain cancer, and um, he he actually inspired me. I had a call with him in January, right before the pandemic hit. We didn't know anything about it at the time. The pandemic. I had this conversation, and this gentleman basically said, you know, like in so many words, like if not you, then who? Basically, you need to get that book written. And I had already started writing the book per se. Like I already had an idea of it, and I had this conversation with him, and he put me in touch with someone who this person was going to be like my accountability. Partner slash coach that I was going to pay to keep me accountable to write the book, and this is before the pandemic hit. So this is like a few a month or so before it hits, and I and I talked to this person, and this person lost her sister to a fentanyl overdose a year prior. So when I told her my outline from my book, she was like, "Let's do this," and she'd already helped many people be successful in writing books, and she said, "Let's do this," and I just. I just wrote and then COVID hit and I was like, oh my God, I have to do this now. And I was watching the mental deterioration of not just people in this space, outside of this space, everyone was starting to be someone who's in recovery. And so that's when I knew this book is not just for the addict or all these terms we use. This is for everyone. This is for people to really understand that we all have addiction we just we just look at things differently and i think there's just a way to to really start to unify that you know compassion is really easy when you realize yourself you have trauma you have addiction and you start to realize that the people that you might judge or scorn for addiction if you were in their shoes i think you'd be doing the same thing So that's really what inspired me was all these circumstances before COVID happened and then when it happened and then during it. And I had people with long-term recovery calling me with mental breakdowns. And I was like, and I wasn't, to be honest. I actually was thriving during that time. I was actually, was connecting with so many people. It was just lighting me on fire and I just kept it going. And that's what really helped me to write as much as I did and, and just get it done and uh, eventually it got done.
1: <laughs> well, that's truly fantastic. Uh, it really is. And it makes sense. Um, in my line of work, where I am working with people all day long, I'm very connected. And so it's been interesting, whereas a lot of folks have been suffering and disconnecting. Um, it's also helped in my recovery because connection really, you know, you hear the phrase, the opposite of addiction, but it, uh, there's a lot of credence to it. I have one more question for you. And it's, what is the most difficult struggle that you've gone through and how did you overcome it?
2: Well, um, most difficult struggle. Is this prior to recovery or in recovery? Well, you know, let's talk about that for a moment.
1: Because there are stages of change and we contemplate forever and we get through difficult times trying to make it happen. Then the action phase, sometimes that's the most difficult to actually do that. But a lot of times you hear people say the biggest trouble that they had was getting motivated. Getting it going wasn't so hard. And then folks retaining it and keeping it going. So there's you know there are different stages in this and we all understand that. So let me put it back to you because pick one, pick one that you think is more relevant to how you're doing today.
2: Okay. So let's, let's do something more recent. So I would say, I would say this last year, actually, I would say the beginning of 2021, January was, I was faced with this decision to continue doing what I'm doing because I had left a very successful career to really start my dream in, in my own category because what I was doing, I couldn't even look up to anyone to what I was doing. No one else was doing it. There was people who were doing it in different ways but not the way I was doing it. So I'm like, I don't even have a, a, a mentor for this. But I just realized in January of the beginning of the year that financially with the hardship of COVID and what it caused for my events and the things I was doing... I was like, am I going to continue doing this? Like what, like the money was such a struggle. There was such a breakdown. There was such a, um, there was uh, basically that the, the trauma that I still really hadn't dealt with the abandonment trauma that I hadn't dealt with, with from my dad. And, and it really started to come up and I really started to 2021 became the year of, of healing. Really. It really became a year where I decided that with this money trigger, that, this money trauma that just continues to repeat itself in my family and into me and over and over and over, I'm just like, I'm done with this and I'm done with feeling this way and I'm done with abandoning myself. And that's when really in 2021, I started to go really deep into my self-care like I never have. And that's really where 2021 became the hardest, most painful year in the 16 years of recovery. It also became the most powerfully changing and it really highly influenced me working with the people I work with today. So I would say what happened in the last 20, the last 12 months.
1: Well, I know I I said something like this a minute ago, but it's worth saying again, there is something truly inspirational in you, in you, in the example that you gave and taking advantage of this decision and to, to jump at it and turn The self, all the problems of COVID, all the self-restrictive, restricting ourselves to people and places and things you, you, and you got to work. You went to work and you accomplished something, something very big. Well, I I truly do appreciate that. And I appreciate your time tonight. Um, How can people reach you uh, if they want to get back in touch with you?
2: Yeah, very easily they can reach me. Uh, they can go to Instagram, jesse Harless 222 and they could literally private message me. I respond to all messages that are not spam. <laughs> and then you could also just email me, Jesse at jesseharless.com if you have any questions or go to my website, jesseharlis.com And I try to keep people up to date with what I'm doing with my trainings. Well,
1: you've got a um, very polished, very uh, well-done website. And I truly believe that um, you'll be hearing more from me individually. There's directions that you are going in, which I think the ramifications of your work will be exponential, that you will indeed touch many, and that touch will inspire others. Um, Any last parting shots? Do you want to shout out to anybody, the tradition now with podcasting?
2: (laughs) Uh, well, if we're going to do a shout-out, I'll shout-out to my mother. You know, if it wasn't for my mother, there's just no way that – I was reflecting on this this morning during my shower, actually. I was really thinking of my mother and all of the trauma that she's been through that was mm-hmm. passed down to her in her own life and then having to raise three boys on her own and then deal with someone like me, which I wasn't an easy <laughs> child. And just – just, I'm so grateful for my mother and just her strengths and, and you know, just – working so hard and that's where I get my work ethic from. So just really grateful for her.
1: And what's your mom's name? Deborah. Well, hi, Deborah. on behalf of all of us. um, Hey, Jesse, thank you so much. I truly appreciate the time that you took to spend with us this evening. Um, Folks, each of us has an oar. If we all put the oar in the water, we can all row together and we'll make progress. We have a lot of uphill rowing to do. So I want to thank Jesse for his time tonight. Thank you again, my friend, and for all those who've been on the show before and those to come in advance. Um, Thank you all for listening tonight. Certainly appreciate your time. Again, I'm Howie Marlin. On behalf of the Sober Network, be safe out there.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sober Podcast. We hope it's been as good for you as it was for us. Please share our show with all of your friends, family, and acquaintances, and future encounters so we can grow and make our mission a larger reality. We have a growing social media presence on all platforms, so find us and like us, especially on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're listed in all major podcast directories like Spotify, Google, Apple, and the rest of them. Thank you all who make this show happen. Howie, our host, Carrie, our producer, and our sponsor, The Sober Network.